Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. We believe today that our eyes would be open, Lord, that... Uh, to see some things that are in us that we haven't seen, things that you've done for us that we haven't quite understood. I just believe for our eyes to see things like we never had before. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 15, 13 says this, Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. May the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. That's our scripture for the year. If you want to follow along, you go to our website, rmfchurch.org, click on media, then notes, and you will see today's title, Father, Forgive Them. That's today's title. And in Luke chapter 23, 32, it says, Two criminals were led away with Jesus, and all three were to be executed together. When they came to the place that is known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between the two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, while they were nailing him to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The soldiers, after they crucified him, gambled over his clothing. I mean, can you imagine being the nails going through the palms of his hands and being, even before that, when he was beaten, shamed, and all of this, he turns around, and while they're still doing it, and he says, Father, forgive them. I don't know about you, but that just sounds unbelievable to be asking for forgiveness for somebody that uh, is doing that to you, and you know 100% that you're innocent. I mean, the way that they treated him had been bad enough he was guilty, but I mean, 100% innocent, never sinned or anything never done anything wrong and to be treated like that. I mean, it's, it's just remarkable to experience the love of God. And um, I don't, I, it's probably going to be hard for me to explain this, but as a pastor, almost every service at the end of the service that I'm greeting people, there's just a love that comes out of me that is, I experience that's not what I experience all the time. Is that clear as mud? Let me try it this way. I, when service is over, after I get done speaking, I just feel something like I want to hug and love everybody. Everybody's just so awesome and everything. And um, that I realize that's the love of God. That love is in us. It's in all of you all. That power to be able to forgive no matter what is inside of you. And uh, let's just be honest And as far as, you know, if you ever experienced where you got cut off or somebody's really driving like a jerk and just driving crazy and everything, and, and then you see about two or three miles down the road, they're pulled over by a policeman. <laughs> when you go by, in all honesty, all of a sudden your mouth doesn't it doesn't the corners go up just a little bit, you know, like, oh, yeah. And we think justice, that's what they got, justice. And we like justice. We like justice when we're done, especially if it's when we have been done wrong, we like justice. <clears throat> but the Lord, you know, he says, that's not me. And I meant, well, what do you mean? What is all that about? 
I mean, you look at Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> he sat there and he said, Father, forgive them. Justice, if that would have probably been me or you, while we're sitting there hanging up, you would have probably said, Mom, get real close to the cross because the fire is about ready to fall. I'm going to burn everybody up. That would have been justice, but it was not. He said, Father, forgive them. There, if you follow church history a little bit, there's a, a man by the name of Josephus. He was a Jewish historian who wrote during the time of Jesus and afterwards. <clears throat> and Josephus, he was a great scholar, and he knew a lot of the, the Old Covenant, and he followed Jewish history, of course. But uh, at 70 A.D. was when the time that all hell broke loose on Israel. It was prophesied that there was going to be the worst destruction ever to the Jewish people, murdered and just horribly treated, and Jerusalem burned. It just it was terrible. Well, Josephus penned that when that happened, that that was the wrath of God was being poured out because they killed his son. That was his opinion, that he wrote that. He was looking at the situation through a lens of the Old Covenant. Because if that was truly the heart of God, then Jesus would have never said, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. Are you following? But the problem with that picture is that generation after generation, they embrace what Josephus has written down, and it's even coming to our church, and it's in our lives to where... Uh, we think if something is done that, well, it's God's punishment on you or me or on the situation. People still think that way. And whereas Jesus said this, he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So the heart of God is Jesus. So the heart of God is in reality is not justice like we really Love to pound and preach and get the point across, but um, it's not. It's not the heart of God, but the heart of God is to love and to forgive. I mean, but it's just hard for our thinking. You've heard me say this so many times. Isaiah 55, 8 says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, which means God does not think like we normally think. But we think he thinks like we think. Did you get that thought? This is the thing, because I know if I mistreat somebody or do something wrong, which I have done, don't just pass out on yourself. Mistreated somebody or did something that, you know, got aggravated or something. That person may look at me differently from that point on. We tend to do that in relationships. If we're mistreated, we tend to look at, oh, well, I see where you're coming from. But God doesn't think that way. He does not think that way. We have to believe in the goodness of God. Let me ask you this question. Is our motivation to live the Christian life based on love and gratitude for what Christ has done for us? Or is it based on fear of what God will do to you every time we fail? The majority of my life, it was based on the second part. It was based upon a fear 
of what God will do to me if I don't measure up, if I don't meet his standard. And something did happen to me. I always assumed it was God's punishment on me for not meeting that standard. Have you ever thought like that? That's a terrible way to think. It's an old covenant mentality way to think. It's not the new covenant in which we live. And, um, but do we really believe or think the power to live the Christian life is self-generated or is it all about Jesus? In other words, I just need to be more disciplined. I just need to press in more. I just need to be uh, more aware of what I'm doing and start doing things at a better capacity, doing things right. And that causes us to, to put a smile on the face of Jesus or our Father. Or is our relationship with him totally based upon what Jesus has done for us? I didn't give you the scripture, Chelsea. I always like to pick on Chelsea. She's fun to pick on. Come to pick, come to think of it, I pick on Tiffany too. Whoever's in PowerPoint, I kind of pick on. Second Corinthians five nineteen. Can you pull that up, New King James Version? Second Corinthians five nineteen. Uh, it says I, most of my life, I always thought that God was keeping a record of every wrong thing that I ever did. Has anybody else thought that, that God was keeping a record? Kind of like Santa Claus, checking it twice, see if I've been naughty or nice. But this is what the Bible says. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing. i tell you what, that word's a little bit different. NLT. Can you pull that up? For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer, no longer counting people's sins against them. I don't know about you, but I've read that so many times growing up, and it's amazing that I never understood what that meant until one day I read it and understood that God was no longer keeping a record of my sins. I think that's pretty good news. I think that is the slap you upside the head best news you will ever get. No longer counting my sins against me. So I started thinking about this more and more and because, you know, I want to be pleasing to God and, and I think, am I being pleasing to God and, and all of this? And I struggled at that. But I have come to believe that the love of Jesus is in the place where you least expect it to be. Where you least expect it, that's where you'll find it. Where you don't think somebody deserves it, that's where you'll find it. I know that God's love is just so different. And I've come to find out that when we talk about the love of God, or if you sit, hear me, if I would have said today, I'm going to preach about the love of God, you would have went, okay. It's not that, that major deal, or we're not going to get any major revelation today. And um, I don't believe that the church is hardly even tapped in when it comes to about the love of God. But in Ephesians 3.16, this is the Passion Translation, it says, And I pray 
that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor and too, until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. You know why we have to constantly use our faith? is because your natural mind won't believe this. Did you hear me? And this is what your natural mind will not believe. The resting place of his love, this is God's love for you, the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Man, when I read that, it's just like, what? The very source and root of your life is totally based upon his love. Did you see that? The resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. What does that mean? Everything about your life, everything and anything about life is going to be on the foundation of God's love inside of you and me. Then, then, after you understand, have a revelation of that love, then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. What is that? All of its dimensions? I don't totally understand that, but I just know that's big. It's powerful. All of its dimensions. It's talking about the love of God. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. In other words, you cannot understand. This will not make sense to your brain. You will not be able to think, okay, I'm going to figure this out. You will not. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and you will exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. So he's talking about the most unbelievable dream, something great. The King James Version says that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that is in us. More than you can think, how can you, how can God do something greater than what you can even think? Don't you have to think of it first? And God says, no, that's not how it works. How it works is this. When you have a revelation of how much God loves you, then you will be able to express the dimensions that God has for you and where he wants to take you and your most unbelievable dream can come true based upon his love and not upon your ability. It's just amazing. And it's all because of his love inside of you and me. Unbelievable dreams are connected to the love of God. The things that you and I cannot do on our own is connected to the love of God. Now, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, where it it shows uh, the ministry of Jesus, I used to think that Jesus was hardcore when it came to the religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, I've been upset with church people before, but I've never called anybody a viper. Jesus called them vipers, you bunch of vipers. And I thought... You know, then he comes up across the prostitutes. 
And he goes, neither do I condemn thee. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, I mean, this guy, I mean, there's not too many people that, you know, the IRS people are their favorite people. I'm just saying, we, I'm thankful for them. But there's not, you know, they probably don't get too many Christmas cards from, their, from the people they deal with. But anyway, my point is this, is that back in the day of the Jewish culture, Roman, the Romans hired Jewish people to collect the taxes. So the Jewish people did not look kindly to the tax collectors because the tax collectors, they stole and did, they had their way. They had them over a barrel, and they were backed up by the Roman Empire. So they could steal from people, take what money they wanted to, and if they said, well, I'm not going to pay that because that's not fair, they said, okay, I'll be back with some of my friends this afternoon. And they would come back with the army of the Roman Empire backing them up. And, of course, they could take your head off and not think nothing of it. So people paid whatever they said. So my point is this. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He's come, Jesus is marching down the road, and Zacchaeus sees him from a tree. He gets up in the tree, sees him, and he's, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house this evening. Wow. And all the Pharisees and Sadducees sit there and go, What? Why are you eating? And probably even some of his disciples go, excuse me, we're not going to go with you to supper tonight. But he shows up, and the thing is with Jesus, he doesn't tell him one thing that he should or should not do. Listen to me now. He doesn't tell him, Zacchaeus, you're a thief, you've been stealing. He doesn't tell him what he should or why he's... He doesn't correct him in whatsoever, and please hear my heart out on this. But all of a sudden, the love of God shows up in Zacchaeus' house, and it transforms Zacchaeus without a word being spoken. It's just the love of God causes him to say, hey, if I've wronged any man, I'm going to pay him back four times. I'm telling you what, I'm going to make all of this right. I'm going to give it back people more than what I've taken from them. If I've done anything wrong, I'm going to make it right. What does that? What causes a man to act and respond like that? It's the love of God. The love of God. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I feel like Jesus has two ministries going on. He's ministering to the people who've embraced the law and think that they can get close to God by keeping the law, which is impossible. It's impossible. And then he's ministering to people who have nothing to do with the law. He's ministering uh, to people who don't embrace the law, but they just want to be known by God and loved by God. So he ministers to them a totally different way. And so I want you to see that and put that in the back of your mind as we read Matthew chapter 19. Verse 16 says, Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. If you want to receive eternal life, keep these commandments. Now, he's going to talk about commandments here. But in John 17, is that the way we know about uh, salvation today, eternal life? That we got to keep the commandments? 
No, John 17, even Jesus himself said this. If you want eternal life, just believe upon Jesus. God says to believe upon the one whom I sent, Jesus. So, do you see a contradiction here? People say, well, the Bible, see, there you go. It contradicts itself. No, you got to understand who he's talking to. We don't have to keep all of the commandments to receive eternal life, do you? If you've been coming to this church very long, you know that's not true. But here he says, all right, who is he talking to? A law guy. A guy who believes in the law. So Jesus sits there and tells him, all right, you got to keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? The man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. This guy goes, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Now, you know that's a big fat lie. I mean, if Peter, Peter's probably not there because Peter would have just jumped up and said, liar, liar, pants on fire. You big liar, you, you have not honored your father and mother, never told a lie. You never told a lie. Come on. You know he had. But Jesus goes right along with him. He says, oh, you've kept the law? you kept these five? I've obeyed all of these. What else must I do? Verse 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the young man heard this. He went away and sad because he had many possessions and Jesus said to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So let me throw this in there. Jesus sits there and gives him another law, one that he knows without a shadow of a doubt this man's not going to be able to keep. He gives him a law. Let me just say this, first of all. You can read from Genesis to Malachi, and you will not find that law in the Bible. Jesus just grabs this law out of thin air. And says, here's one that I know you can't keep. What? Well, wait a minute. Somebody should have said, well, where's that found at? I mean, is it in Leviticus? Nobody can hardly read Leviticus. Was it in Leviticus? It's not in there. He's just giving him a law because that's what he's wanting. He says, well, if you want to be perfect, keep this law. Do this. And the man was sorry that he couldn't do it. And the disciples says, hey, we're businessmen. Are you saying we can't have money? No, this is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, no, if you're going to try to keep the law to get the, the things of God and get close to God, you won't be able to do it. The church today is still trying to keep the law to get close to God. And it's never intended for that. So we don't have to keep the law. A couple weeks ago, I'm not going to go into I gave you probably 20 scriptures or more about in the New Testament how we're not under the law and we don't keep the law. So if, you've, or if you're new here today, you'll have to bear with me. Go back and listen to that or give me another shot. Matthew 22 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law. Now listen who's going to be talking. An expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. 
He's trying to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment or law in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So I was thinking of on that, and most of my life, that has been something that's always been core of my being is to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Everything within me, I want to love God. Have you ever even prayed that? God, I just feel like I, I don't love you enough. Have you ever thought that and prayed that? I just feel like I don't love you enough, God. Help me to love you more. I just need to love you more. A few weeks go by, and a few months go by. Oh I, oh, I just don't love God enough. Just don't love God enough. Finally, the Lord just says, what does that look like? What does that look like to love God more? What does that look like? Jesus is always questioning people. He gives you questions to make you think. So I thought, well, this is what it looks like to me. I probably need to read my Bible more. Probably need to pray more. Just need to think on you more. I just, you know, need to do certain things more. And this is how the Lord deals with me. He probably deals with you differently. But he just deals with me like slap you upside the head type thing. I'm from Kentucky. I can handle that. But anyway, said, uh, so basically what you're saying is your performance is how I'm going to get love from you is all based upon your performance. How much you do and what you do. Because that's generally how our relationships are with one another. Is based upon what we do for one another and our performance with one another, how much we can love you or not love you. I'm going to say something. Please don't leave until the end of the message. The Lord said, Mike, I don't even require your love. Yeah, that's how the first service responded as well. Felt like all the oxygen was just sucked out of the room. I don't require your love. But I do require you to know and understand how much I love you. Listen to me now. We get the cart before the horse in just about anything in the Bible about our relationship with God. If we understand how much God loves us, you will never have a problem of how much you love God. We get the cart before the horse, man. We think, i got to love God more. No, you don't know. You don't have a clue. You do not, and I do not have a clue of how much God loves you, or you know you wouldn't be praying that way. Everybody take a deep breath. The example in the disciples, Peter, he was one about all performance. Jesus said, you're gonna, one of you are going to deny me. What did Peter do? I'll never deny you. I love you with all of my heart. I'm a, I'm a follower. I'm a disciple. I will never. I will never. It's all about discipline and, and performance. Well, what was John's testimony? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> he, he wasn't a, it was about how much God loved him. It wasn't about how much he loved God. Tell me something. In the most crucial time of all time, 
was at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And at the cross, who was there with Jesus? Wasn't Peter. Wasn't any of the disciples except for John. It's not recorded, so I guess we can assume that Jesus didn't tell John. Now, listen, I want to make sure that you're at the cross. I don't know if I was Jesus. I would have told my disciples that. You know what? It's going to be a really tough time for me, guys. Appreciate it. You can show up at the cross. He didn't say that to any of them. He didn't say it to John, but John was there. Why? Again, I think we get the cart before the, for the horse and that we preach and, and teach, you know, we got to obey. We got to trust and obey God. Bless God, you're not obeying enough. You're not trusting God enough. You're not doing this enough. And you all just straighten up right now. I have come to the conclusion that if you have a revelation of the love of God, obedience and trust is effortless. I believe it's effortless. But if you don't understand how much God loves you, you will struggle in trying to trust and obey God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. <laughs> to be happy. No, I'll stop. But anyway, the point is this. The point is this. We don't trust enough. We don't obey enough. And the reason we don't is not because of a lack of discipline. It's a lack of understanding and revelation of how much God loves us. Because if you understand that, you're going to trust him 100% of the time. If you understand that, you're going to obey and do whatever he wants because you know how much he loves you. John showed up at the cross in the most important time of all time in the history. God, Jesus, puts the redemption plan on pause. Click, and he stops. And he looks at John. John, his mama, Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, was there. He sits there and looks at John and says, John, behold your mother. He's talking about Mary, Jesus' mother. Mom. Behold your son. The Bible says from that time forward, John took care of his mother. I don't know. I, my mom died in 1999. And I tell you what, you know, a son and their mamas is this way with the daughters too. But, I mean, you want to make sure mama's taken care of. And you're not just going to leave mama with anybody. It's going to be somebody you can trust and just know that she's going to be taken care of. And so as far as redemption story goes, Jesus put it on pause and said, I'm going to make sure this is taken care of. And he trusted John to make sure that happened. And I believe he knew he could trust him because John had a revelation of how much he loved him. Wow. So again... John was not told, show up at the cross. Make sure you're there, John. He was there without being told. And the reason I believe he was there is because he understood of how much God loved him. You and I need to understand how much God loves us. Don't keep getting the cart before the horse. I've done that most of my life. I got to love you more, God. Finally, God just says, Mike, stop it. 
You're just making everything a performance thing for what you can do. When you understand what I have done for you, then Jesus will be the centerpiece and the foundation. The love will be the source. Listen to me, Ephesians 3. Love will become the source and the root of everything in your life. Oh, I'm so weak in this area. I'm, just, I'm struggling. You know, I'm just, you know, I got this, I got this porn problem. I got this lying problem. I just got this anger problem. I just got issues. I got problems. If you have a lack of his revelation, you're always going to have problems that you'll never be able to defeat. But if you understand that he defeated them for you. And he loves you so much, that same power to defeat the death that caused him to be resurrected, that same power, the Bible says, dwells in you and me. What is that power? Love. Love. You know that old Captain Nintendo song? Love will keep us together. Okay, I won't go there, but... I said that in a conference last week. I said, I just want to make sure that Captain Tennille, for those who are under 40, that it's not a shipping business. <laughs> Relationships will be much easier for us when you understand and have a revelation of the love of God. So this is what you and I should pray. Not God, help me to love you more. God, open up the eyes. Ephesians 3.16 and 1.16, 3.16 those Ephesian prayers, Paul prayed this. He says that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened so that you may know the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of this love. Which means it's more than three-dimensional. It's more than four-dimensional. It's all the dimensions of God and of what life is all about is the love of God. So, you know, we say, man, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. So, first of all, what is the main thing? How much God loves you. Not how much you love God. Oh, they just really love God. Look at them. They just really love God. They have such great faith, and they just have this and all this. Paul said this. He says, if you got anything, you can't boast about anything. Whether it's faith or anything, you can't boast about anything because it all came from him. And you've got it because of him. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, you know, they call it the love chapter, but it talks about if you can give your, your body to be burned, you can give all that you have to the poor, you can do all these sacrificial things, but he says, if you have not love, you are nothing. You're nothing. But then the amplified version of 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says this, that love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Love. His love. If you can connect to God's love in the midst of your failure, in your failure, you'll never be a failure. The reason we look bad on ourselves, the reason we don't overcome ourselves, we the reason we uh, don't like ourselves is because we don't connect to the love that is in us. We disconnect to that love that is inside of us. Because if you were connected to the love of God inside you, you would never have any bad feelings about yourself. You would never think that, oh, I'm just a loser. I can't do anything right. You've gotten a disconnect. You can tell by when people talk, you can say, and don't get me wrong. 
man, I've disconnected too. I'm, I'm preaching to the, to the pastor here myself. I'm just saying that we need to understand about the love of God because when you have that connection, there is nothing in life that you will ever face, no circumstance, no tragedy, nothing that you will ever face that love will not get you through it or over it or around it somehow, some way because the love of God cannot fail you. It cannot fail you. You say, God, just why do you, you, you're failing me, God. No, 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 no. Where the failure is, is that there's been a disconnect from the love of God. Because if there's a connection to the love of God, you will stand proud. You will stand like, I am a child of God. That's my father, and he's going to not only just get me through it, but as Romans 15, 13 says, that his superabundance will continually flow around me, radiating with hope. Wow. It's his love. So when you hear something about this message, it says, oh, yeah, the love of God. There has to be a revelation for you and me. Listen to me. This is not a one-time deal. This is not when you get to the, to the altar, you go, oh, I felt the love of God. I just, oh, man, I felt it. No, first of all, the love of God is God. It's not something that he compartmentalizes in, inside of himself. That's who he is, which means that because he's eternal, love is eternal. You'll never get to an end to it. You'll never be able to get it all figured out because throughout time, throughout all eternity, we will be getting revelation of love. You know, that just makes your brain go, what? Yeah, it's not like, okay, I got it figured out. No, you never will. Because once you get that figured out, you understand there's another compartment. There's something else about the love of God that you've never seen before. That's why the angels in heaven surround God's throne. Remember reading that revelation? They just float around God's throne. They're going, holy, holy, holy. You, I used to read that, and I go, man, I would not want that job. Talk about boring. What do you what you do today? Same thing I've been doing for the last 50 billion years. Holy, holy, holy. Going around the throne, and I'm thinking, what? man, that is boring. I'm one of those guys, you know, if I do something after a while, I go, okay, what else can I do now? But this is what the Lord said. Every time they would go around, they would see another revelation of the love of God they've never seen before. Billions and billions and trillions of years, they, they keep seeing something different. Keep seeing something different. Your brain goes, blah, 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 blah. But we just read that your own understanding will never comprehend it. Amen. Listen, if you disagree with this, if you think, I don't know about this sermon, that's okay. Just put it in the back of your mind and say, Lord, talk to me about that message. What is it about the love that he was talking about? It's so powerful. It's the root and the source of all life. It's everything. It's not just something that church or Christians have, the love of God. No, it is everything. Are you hearing me? It is everything. It will change your life change how you look upon other people as well. Let's stand. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name. Truly, like Paul said, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. There's some things that we obviously, that we obviously don't know about your love. For God so loved the world things that we don't know, that we are praying and believing that Rocky Mountain Family Church 
that our eyes are being enlightened, that we're having a revelation of your tremendous love. And as the testimony of John, that I'm the disciple that Jesus loves, may that be our testimony as well. And not just because we are saying it because he said it, but we are having the revelation that he had, that God truly loves us every moment of every day. May it transform our lives in such a way that people will see. Father, you even gave this testimony. Jesus said this before he left this earth. He said, this is what and how people are going to know you're my disciples. This is how they're going to know. How? How are people going to know? For your love for one another. For your love. The only way that's going to happen is when we have a revelation of how much you love us. Because at times we all know that it's very hard to love people. It's hard to love people. It's hard to love even the ones that we call friends, that we call husband or wife, we call children. It's hard enough for that, but how about the ones who are mistreating or who don't deserve? How much harder is that? It cannot be done with our own human intellect. It must be a transformation in our mind and in our heart to understand how much God loves us. Then and only then we can be like Jesus and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, we thank you teaching us and showing us in Jesus' name. Amen.